Welcome to Mobile Suit Breakdown Presents The Witching Hour, in which your loyal and regular podcast hosts return to break the sequence a little bit and talk about New Gundam. If you are just now joining us, I'm Nina, and that's Tom. Hello. Normally, we make the Gundam podcast Mobile Suit Breakdown, in which we watch all of Gundam in release order, starting from the very beginning, with discussion and analysis as we go. Every MSB episode also includes research into the historical context around the show, its references and influences, behind-the-scenes details, biographies of the creators, and lots more. As of this recording, we are hard at work on Gundam F91, but we thought it would be fun to watch and discuss Witch from Mercury as it came out. These episodes will be a little looser and more casual, and don't expect any research pieces. No recaps either. We are cutting all the scripted bits out, uh, we just assume that you are watching the show with us. Takes. Only takes. This will be the first time that we've watched any new Gundam since Iron-Blooded Orphans was coming out. Uh, and I think we've mentioned a couple of times that the genesis for the Mobile Suit Breakdown podcast came about because we started watching Iron-Blooded Orphans when it was new. Um, we got derailed a little bit when the subtitles on Crunchyroll were badly off sync. And we sort of said, oh, we'll, we'll wait until they fix it, and then we'll watch it. But as I imagine most of you in the audience know, when you get derailed like that, sometimes you just never come back. And uh, by the time the subtitles were fixed, I had said to Nina, hey, do you want to watch all of Gundam with me? And uh, so at that point, we had the idea for the podcast, and we never went back to watch the rest of IBO. But there was a time when we were watching New Gundam, and now we're watching New Gundam again. The decision to watch Witch from Mercury as it is coming out was one we actually discussed a lot, including kicking the question to some of our patrons and asking them what they thought about it. And there are a lot of different reasons that we've come down on the side of just watching it. One is that it lets me get to be part of the regular fandom for once. <laughs> the excitement, the discourse for good and for ill. Also, the spoilers would have been entirely unavoidable. Uh, that's just the way my Twitter is now. There are so many Gundam people that I follow that I would never have been able to avoid hearing about every single episode anyway. And so I would have had to quit social media <laughs> for the duration of the show if we actually wanted to keep my brain pristine. Yeah. It may seem like a little bit of a betrayal of the mission of the podcast to watch everything in order without spoilers to the best of our abilities, but um, also it's just, it's fun and we want to do it. So get off our backs. In our defense, I will have entirely forgotten basically everything about the show, <laughs> but my general positive or negative impression by the time the podcast is covering it. And because Witch from Mercury is an alternate universe setting, it's a new continuity, there are not going to be any direct spoilers for other stuff besides Witch from Mercury. So the spoiler effect, the sequence breaking, is nicely isolated to just this one show. And that means that even though there are many things in Witch from Mercury that remind me of other shows that we haven't watched yet, I'm not going to talk about those. You can leave that to other very well-informed Gundam fans who I'm sure are talking about it a lot right now. Uh, we're also not committing to a regular release schedule on these. They will come out when we feel like it. 
This first episode is going up on the free public feed. Uh, subsequent episodes of MSB Presents The Witching Hour will be up on the Patreon. And really, would you all want me to have to wait probably decades for my first girl protagonist? Yeah, come on, listeners. Can't you let Nina have this? Just this one time? The future of the project depends on us having fun. <laughs> I'll just say that. That's true. When you put it that way. <laughs> I think that's enough preamble. Anything to add? Um, Gundam is good. <laughs> the prologue is extremely promising. Yeah, I'm a little curious why they called this a prologue instead of just calling it episode one. It's full length. It resembles an episode in every conceivable way. It's not anything like prologue to Double Zeta when they um, didn't have the episode ready and just threw something together that they could send off to the TV stations. They might have felt that since it's an alternate universe or since it is groundbreaking and it's a girl protagonist, <laughs> they needed a kind of like promo episode to throw mm -hmm, out mm -hmm. before and really like months before the first episode came out. Yeah, this is something they've kind of been doing recently. This isn't a spoiler, but both the Gundam narrative movie and the Hathaway movie released the first like 20 minutes of the film on YouTube months before the thing was actually released into theaters. So this is definitely a strategy they've decided to use. And I guess if you put out episode one and then there was a month wait before mm -hmm. episode two came out, that would feel weird. But doing a prologue, then a gap, then episode, yeah, okay, I, I, I get it. It also sounds like there's a significant time jump between the prologue and episode one, which also kind of makes that gap work a little more uh, comfortably, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's also like an old um, rule of practice within Sunrise, that the Gundam has to show up in the first episode. Mm. And while there are Gundam-type mobile suits in the prologue, the Gundam, the aerial, isn't in it. Ha. So maybe it's as simple as that. Also, prologue is like more approachable mm -hmm. than episode one. It really does say, hey, new person who knows nothing about this, come in and watch this thing with us. Which probably is a hint at the kind of demographic they're aiming for. This is Gundam for new Gundam fans. That's one of the benefits of an AU, right? There's less of a sense that you need to know all of this lore mm -hmm, and all of these mm -hmm. things that happened previously just to watch a show. Speaking of lore, let's dive into the lore of G-Witch, which is dense here in the first episode. Yeah, I was amused that they changed some of the terminology, presumably just to distinguish it from other like timelines and universes within Gundam. Uh -huh. Now we have Spacians and Earthians <laughs> because yeah. Spacenoids and Earthnoids would mean that we are in the, the regular core timeline. And it, they feel kind of retro, don't they? Noid or? Noid, or, yeah. Yeah, but that's because I heard them in a show from the 70s. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> they feel retro because they are. Uh, but I, I Space, think... Spacians and Earthians is the hip, cool rebrand for the modern era. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> um, 
Does this alternate universe have a name? I know many of them get names. Ad Stella. Ad Stella, okay. Mm -hmm. To the stars. Mm -hmm. And instead of uh, bits or funnels or incoms, we now have these, what what do they call them, like swarm type weapons? Swarm weapons, yeah. Yeah, which are very cool. And we've got Gundam type mobile suits. And the distinguishing feature for a Gundam in this setting seems to be that it has this body-brain interface and maybe that it has the swarm-type weapons. Every Gundam that we've seen so far does have them. I don't know if any previous Gundam do this, but I love that this prologue makes the connection between prostheses, which we already have mechanical prostheses now, that Mm -hmm, your brain mm -hmm. communicates with it to move it. That is a technology that that exists in our own time and is constantly being improved and developed and connects that with What we now know about long-term stays in space, which is that they're very damaging to the human body, Mm -hmm. and then ties that back into the sort of space technology. and That feels like it's going to be like one of the big themes. It's certainly the big one in this prologue. And it also ties into debates, very real debates that are going on right now about uh, human augmentation, transhumanism, like... When you frame it this way, it's very sci-fi and future exciting, but the very fundamental notion of whether humans should alter their bodies using science and technology in order to live better is actually quite controversial right now. And I think this episode does a great job of setting up these two competing intellectual frameworks where on the one hand, you have an idea of like, rightness and propriety and the sanctity of the human body and the sanctity of like because it's Gundam the sanctity of killing with with the right (laughs) kinds of weapons um, on the one hand and then on the other hand the way Dr. Cardo talks about it she's just like it's like when a kid puts clothes on and of course it is you're you're wearing glasses right now Mm -hmm. you have augmented your body with science I'm wearing a thermal shirt that keeps me from freezing in the winter. We're wearing masks and clothes. So I guess you can figure out which side of the debate Nina and I fall on. But it's so much more complicated than that. (laughs) It's not just a matter of, yes, it's all fine, or no, none of it is fine. At least to me, it's not. (laughs) And for our, um, I don't remember his name, but the evil guy. Delling. Delling. Rembrandt. Delling Rembrandt. Um, Or Rembrandt, I guess. It really seems like he is both a true believer and his speech is covering up other things. Like, he has ideological objections and that's what he focuses on in his speech. But the framing of the Mobile Suit Development Council, this shadowy board of business figures, um, their considerations, I think, are very material. They are afraid that this new technology from their competitor is going to make all of their stuff obsolete. Well, it's an arms race, both a a business one and a political one Mm -hmm. that affects who holds power in the solar system. (laughs) And they obviously want primacy of their own technology. They have both developed a way to neutralize gunned technology, but they also don't want any more gunned technology being developed. Uh, I found most of Delling's speech to be nonsense. (laughs) just ethics-sounding words that have no logic to them. But your discussion of transhumanism and the ethical debates around human augmentation reminded me of one line that he has that I think might be kind of the buried lead on his whole thing, which is, 
basically that he thinks any punishment for killing of any kind should be administered by humans, not machines. It sounds almost like he's afraid that the machines with the gun technology have their own separate sentience. Like the machine has the ability to choose to punish people. <laughs> Which is suggested elsewhere in the episode, especially in the way little Ari talks about it as her younger sister. She constructs it as an individual with a personality. She also does the same thing for the other two um, Gundam-type suits that they have there. I really liked this, that when she's talking to Dr. Cardo, her, quote, grandmother, and she's really mad at everybody for focusing so much on the rubris, the Elfrith, which I'm I'm going to call the rubris because <laughs> the Japanese is ruburisu. Um, so Ari is very jealous of this one particular mobile suit, and she asks, oh, do you not care about those other two, the older ones? Because she's really worried that she's being forgotten, that she's being ignored. She's really jealous, and she's projecting that jealousy onto those older Gundams. Anyway. So this fear of electronic sentience, of machine sentience, and fear then that those machines will have power over humans. They won't just be tools. That's the real fear. Mm. Because the idea that any soldier using any weapon isn't potentially killing themselves by doing so is completely laughable. Absolutely. Which, again, the show reinforces in the way Ares' father dies, because he, with or without the Gundam technology, he willingly sacrifices himself for something that is more important to him than his life, which is a thing people do in war all the time. That's, that's war. So the idea that giving up your life to win a battle is somehow antithetical to the proper conduct of war is very silly. And unlike IBO, there isn't any sense so far that the people piloting Gundams are enslaved in any way or indentured or sort of entrapped into doing this. Mm -hmm. Everyone who we see use these machines is doing so completely willingly and knowing what might happen. Yeah, so far. So we'll right. see. Who, who knows what the future may bring? <laughs> On the other hand, we do, in real life, make a distinction between sacrificing yourself in battle versus a consciously intentional suicide attack. Suicide bombings, kamikaze pilots. We do think of those as meaningfully different from someone who simply attacks without regard for whether they survive or not. Going back very briefly to what you said about Delling as sort of a true believer for whatever exactly it is he believes. The attack on and effort to wipe out this research station mm -hmm. feels more like disease containment than mm -hmm. like a hostile takeover. Yeah, yeah. Because they're trying to wipe out the knowledge base. They don't want to capture it for themselves. They're not trying to isolate it or just shut it down. They're not even just cutting off the funding and seeing what happens. They are killing every single person who has any knowledge of how this technology is being developed and updated. I suspect they didn't actually kill Dr. Cardo, the lead researcher. We never even see her get shot, no corpse. They say your life is going to end. They say they've neutralized her, but that could mean took her into custody, gave her a new identity and kept using her. She's perhaps too valuable to just kill here. 
But we'll find out about that in the future. They do blow up the whole facility. Absolutely, absolutely. When somebody asks, oh, should we wait for reinforcements from headquarters? My first thought was, ha, I'm sure they took out your headquarters too, if it was within their ability to do so. Ironic that these Cathedra, this kill team, seem to all have robot parts. I don't know if there are bionic limbs in this setting that don't use the gunned technology, but it would be very themes for them to have been attacked by a group of people who all rely on the technology that they're trying to uh, shut down. And similarly, the vibe on the the research station is also true believers. The way Dr. Cardo explains this project is all of their child, that this whole team is working on this together. The hints that Ari's father had to pursue funding for them, but that it came with these strings attached mm-hmm. and they needed a sponsor. They couldn't manage without one, but it, now it's making their lives more difficult. I'm sure anyone who has ever done scientific research knows those feelings of having to constantly pursue funds and the frustration of the strings that are frequently attached to those funds. I mean, that came up in Gundam F91, which we have watched, even if we haven't released those episodes yet. Uh, with Seabook's mother wanting to develop this biocomputer but needing military funding to do it. And it goes back most especially, most clearly, to the robotics doctor from 0080 who is working on all of these essentially prosthetics to help people but also building Gundams with them because the military gives him the money to do the research. Dr. Lumumba. They do a really great job in the combat portions of this episode establishing just how scary some of the technologies involved are. They really set the parameters of why this arms race matters and just how special our protagonist is. Because obviously some of these researchers have fighting experience, but a bunch of researchers go out and destroy a bunch of, I'm going to assume, trained soldiers Mm -hmm. and like high level trained soldiers or mercenaries and the reaction from all these soldiers is i can't believe how fast it is look out oh my god like we cannot fight this one-on-one it's just horror and then death yeah if i were the you know executive vice president at space death machines company limited i would be very uh concerned about this new technology they're developing at folkwanger And then to have this enemy mobile suit that can not just neutralize that power, but completely immobilize them Mm -hmm. makes that even extra scary. And I love the way they deal with the sort of power levels on the (laughs) Elfred, where we see Ellie trying to get to level 33 and she's got like a block there. She just cannot get to level 33. Her husband maxes out at level four, and he's pretty sure it's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his his death level. Four. And the other pilot also, I don't think they tell us exactly what level, but one imagines she's not at Ellie's level. This is Wendy. And then for Aerie, a four-year-old <laughs> with no training or understanding to get in there and easily get to level 33 is astonishing. Yep. And her mother gives her a look where I was just sitting there 
thinking to myself, are you afraid for your daughter or are you afraid of your daughter right now? And I think it's both. This opening with the like the different layers and the test pilot trying to connect and not getting the connection they want, it's very Evangelion. Um, the synchronization levels and stuff like that. I also got flashes of both Ender's Game and Titan AE. Ender's Game in that Aerie has no idea what she's doing. She is extremely effectively killing a whole lot of people, but she doesn't know that. And her mother is letting her do it. I mean, they would probably be dead otherwise, <laughs> right? It's uh-huh. But it's uh, that idea of using the innocence of children and children's love of video games and sometimes tenuous grasp of reality to make them very effective killing machines. Mm-hmm. And Titan AE, because you have this child of researchers who has to like go on the lamb because their home has been destroyed, their family's been killed, they become a refugee and have to hide their identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, presumably they're they're fleeing to Mercury at the end of this episode. Also, the prologue was just so, 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 so pretty. <laughs> yep, the good animation. Though, um, I know that there are multiple versions of the prologue because even after they published the first one, they kept changing some of the animation, cleaning it up. <laughs> we did not watch the final one. We oh, watched okay. the one. We watched the one that's on Gundam Info on YouTube. Um, but I know that they made the death of Nyla more explicit mm. in a later version. Okay. We got the version where there's a like spray of blood, um, but that's it. But yeah. things like sweat drops and tears floating off of people in space. One of the founders, when there's that news piece about, um, gosh, the company that's doing the research, something Earth? Ox Earth. Ox Earth. And one of the two guys in this photograph or this still from a video has like a goggle or sunglasses tan on his face. (laughs) He didn't have to do that. That was totally unnecessary. But it gives the guy a vibe. Mm -hmm. I immediately have this very particular impression of that person because of it. (laughs) When her parents are talking back and forth about work stuff and Aerie just wants to cut into the cake. She's like bouncing in her chair <laughs> because of course she is. She's four and there's a cake in front of her. That cake is the most important thing in her life. Um, and the, the fights just mm-hmm. looked so good. Really good. There's some interesting color coding going on here. Um, Aerie and her mother both redheaded. The Elfrith or Rubris is a red mobile suit. The like, I'm going to call it magic. <laughs> when the magic flows through the mobile suit, when the when the gond flows through the Gundam, it's red. The sort of trails of energy that connect the swarm weapons back to the mobile suits are red. When the gund is flowing through people and hurting them, it's red. But when Airy is using it, it's blue. Mm. Like we can see the pattern on her face. We can see it under her skin, but it's not that scary red that everybody else gets, <laughs> it's blue. And then they do red and blue light effects on the credits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Aries cake, which she is associated with repeatedly throughout the episode, has strawberries on it, again, red. Um, and not for nothing, the comet in Red Comet, as in Char the Red Comet, and Mercury the planet are homonyms. They're both 
Suisse. I realized that when Nyla gives her girlfriend some juice or whatever, it's basically indirect kiss, but yep. in space. Yep. She like shoots it over to her instead of handing her the bottle. Well, or like, you know, feeding your lover. That is its own independent trope. They're, they're pretty clear about that. They're lesbians, Harold. Good for them. Although then, of course, they, they kill the gay characters right after they introduce them, but they kill everybody, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad sign. It is Gundam, after all. Um, you mentioned Ares' design. I really like that they made her look like a combination of her parents. Her hair is red, but it's a bit darker than her mother's, and so feels a bit like some influence from her dad crept in. Her yep. skin yep. is closer to her dad's skin color. Her eyebrows are just like her dad's. Great eyebrows. Oh, Everybody love, in this show the has eyebrows. good eyebrows. <laughs> Uh, you could do so much just analyzing characters based on how their eyebrows appear. As long as we're talking small details, some of the stuff in the text, some of the references that I caught just as we were going through. Um, Volkwanger, the name of the research base that they attack, that's part of the Norse afterlife. It's the part of the Norse afterlife that belongs to the goddess Freya, and it's basically the equivalent of Valhalla. But for non-warriors? No, for warriors. Oh. Half of... When when warriors die, half of them go to Valhalla and half of them go to Folkvanger. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, and when uh, Ellie is working on the testing in the Elfrith, she refers to whoever she's talking to over the comms as Thrall. Mm-hmm. She has a code number, but they say Thrall, which was a term for like a serf, right? Or an, a slave? A slave, in, yeah. Yeah. Not quite the same as chattel slavery the way we normally understand it, but a slave. In Norse. The whole setting is lousy with Norse terms. Um, and a lot of generally Northern European stuff besides that. Um, hammer of witches? Is that a thing? Yeah, the Hammer of Witches is another name for the Malleus Maleficarum, which is a book about how to hunt witches um. written by a uh, Dominican priest, which is probably why they refer to one of these, like one branch of this cathedra organization as Dominicus. And it's called cathedra. Yeah. The preponderance of Norse stuff makes me think that, um, so they use the term gund, G-U-N-D in the English, to describe the technology that the Gundams are based on, which is fun. It's, you know, the, the word that we knew they had to use and they've reinterpreted it in a way that is new and interesting for this setting. But remember for a moment that in Japanese, it's actually more like Gandam, not Gundam. It's more like a G-A. And Gand, G-A-N-D-R, is the Norse word for magic and mm. also for a staff or a wand, which is where the name Gandalf from Lord of the Rings comes from. And I assume that's the word they're using here. Cool. So we are getting some very explicit, like, Catholicism versus paganism. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's only hinted at here, but we have this Earthian, Spacian Cold War going on. Um, we know it's a Cold War because they talk about the Earthians using Gundam as an excuse to build up their weapon stockpiles. Anyway, but unlike how Gundam normally is, here we have a lot of characters talking about the Spacians, as being the dominant economic force and also close-minded. Conservative. So it's good. 
I like it a lot. Excited. Really like the ending. That, um, where's the transmission coming from? Shut it off. We can't shut it off is one of my favorite tropes. Love that they did that. And they give, um, I assume this was intentional. They give Ari exactly four birthday candle explosions. She destroys the three enemy mobile suits. And I'm thinking, well, that's only three candles. It's her fourth birthday. And then her father's explosion at the very end is the fourth one, which is just Gundam as heck. Happy yeah. birthday, Ari. Happy birthday to you. It was very sad. But also the guy who's like, what is happening? What is that? And it's like, well, you are killing actual human people. <laughs> like, what did you think was happening? Yeah, actually, your boss had a whole thing about how you should be punished for that by other humans. Let's see how that works out for you. Mobile Suit Breakdown is written, recorded, and produced by us, Tom and Nina, in scenic New York City, within the ancestral and unceded land of the Lenape people, and made possible by listeners like you. The opening track is Wasp by Misha Dioxin. The closing music is Long Way Home by Spinning Ratio. You can find links to the sources for our research, the music used in the episode, additional information about the Lenape people, and more in the show notes and on our website, gundampodcast.com You can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram at gundampodcast or by email to hosts at gundampodcast.com And thank you for listening. Have we had to record in masks before? I wonder how it will affect the acoustics. I imagine our voices will be somewhat quieter, but it might actually help with <laughs> mouth sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pop filter that you wear on your face. Maybe we'll sound so good that everyone everyone will be like, you have to wear the masks every time you record. Maybe when you edit, you will say, okay, we have to wear the masks every time. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask you before we got started, but should we explain in this audio why we are allowing ourselves to watch Witch from Mercury, and in particular why I'm watching it? Or should we do that in the post that goes with <laughs> the thing? I mean, I figured we would um, justify ourselves. I did wonder if Elfreth Sometimes when they say it in Japanese, I thought it sounded I thought it sounded like Lilithu, like Lilith, which would be appropriate because in some of the mythology, Lilith is the first witch in all of humanity, the mother of all witches. No, Tom, that's a Wookiee. <laughs> Let the Wookiee win. And I'm the Wookiee. <laughs> Let the Wookiee podcast. Yeah.